Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, where two MFA friends talk writing craft. Today we discuss Sabbath's Theater by Philip Roth. Um, a... Yeah, and we have on as a special guest today my friend John Paul Hurley. Thank you very much for joining us, JP. Uh, great to have you here, and enjoy the episode. Hi, Ben. Hey, Emily. And hello, JP. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hi, it's me, your boy. Coming at you. The man on the ones and twos. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. I just heard someone say it once. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, I've also said that a lot of times without being fully aware of what I was saying. Like, gotta be on those ones and twos. <laughs> um, y'all are either more online or more in person than I am, but I am not in the space that you are in. I have not heard this one before. The ones, the twos. It's, I feel like they would always like throw to an audio engineer and they'd be like, and we got Mikey Mike on the ones and twos and he's the one, you know, putting the levels up and down, but I don't know what ones and twos I'm pretty sure you're supposed to clap on like the one and the three or the two and the four, Mm. but not the one and the two, like of of a four measure, four beat measure, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This is all true. I'm translating. Is it? I don't know anything about music. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, it depends on if you're white or not, is my understanding. Is uh, if you're on the one or the three or the two. Okay, the I know that much about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, awesome. But yeah, uh, welcome, Vivaldi, JP. Vivaldi and the like are on the one and the three. Um, Welcome, JP. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Good to be here. Yeah. John Paul Hurley is a friend of mine from undergraduate. We both went to, we got our bachelor's at the University of Kansas. And we were uh, co-founders of a little writing club, a little student writing club. I think that's how we met originally. And yeah. I was president, and then you were president the year after. And um, it was just a cute little undergrad writing workshop. And I, I think we became really close. We made some really good friends friends through that. So JP is visiting me in Denver this weekend and, are, and has graciously uh, stepped up to the plate uh, to jump on the pod uh, due to a few guest cancellation <laughs> issues. And some. Some real, uh, a couple of issues, uh, some audio issues, some cancellation issues, uh, a hard week for guests. Love yeah. to our guests, will be but... built on the bones of the failed guests. Yeah. <laughs> we are a real podcast now that we've had an episode yeah. disappear into the ether due to yep. an audio issue. We're yep. a real podcast now. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it was probably so can... a good episode, I think, if I could have heard what he was saying. Hopefully we'll get a real episode with this person in, in the future because he's fun to talk to, but yeah. <laughs> One day soon. I was like leaning into my computer as yeah. if I thought that would help the audio improve. Me too. It Me did too. Not work. Did it's not like work. when you turn the volume down when you're trying to like find some place you've never driven to. Oh, I turn that. Yeah. I turn the radio off yeah. when I'm parallel mm-hmm. parking. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, well, I'll be a writer friend of mine who lives at, in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm-hmm. City of Lights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gay Lawrence. Um. <laughs> Um, JP, we're gonna start this episode as we usually start episodes, which is by confessing how little writing we've done this week. Um, <laughs> Ben and I, I will say, Ben and I had a really good routine yeah. going for a while. Um, we, I think we survived a week and a half, almost two weeks of writing 15 yeah. minutes every day. Yeah. Um, I was shocked. I think we were both shocked to discover that the secret to writing every day is just, um, avoiding shame. So we yeah. did a text each other once we complete our 15 minutes routine that actually worked for a while so yeah um that routine really worked while we were doing it yeah and hopefully we will continue to do it 
uh, after the people leave our houses and we have a little bit more time to sit down again. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it weirdly worked because I, I think what helped was that I didn't want to let myself down or let my friend Emily down. And it was nice also that we would uh, tell each other that we were doing a good job uh, as we were doing it. That also helped. So I was happy about that. Creative writing really is just you alone with your laptop or your notepad. And to, to, mm-hmm. to do anything to make it a little bit more social, I think, has been fun for, for both of us. Yeah. I yeah, mean, that's mostly exactly. what I want out of the whole endeavor. Is uh, the, the idea of grad school is that I go there and I just meet people who are like, hey, let's shout about the same shit to each other. It's true. It's true. That's, They're there. That, that's, that's a lot of there. what grad school is, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> complaining about the same stuff. Good. Yeah. Love to complain. So, JP, what is your writing routine? Uh, um, yeah, for a while it was kind of the same thing. I had uh, some friends on Discord. They're more into visual arts, uh, mm-hmm. but we'd meet just like once a week, uh, Sundays at like 1 p.m. And we'd do like two Pomodoro runs, like 25 minutes, five minute breaks. And just for that hour, we're just working. You don't have to get anything done, but you just got to be like there looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that time, I was just trying to like write a thousand words in a go, and mm-hmm. it usually hit that number. It wasn't good writing, but at least the number was getting hit. Um, now my schedule has changed a lot. Like I just uh, radically shifted the hours I need to be working. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I'll start like dedicating like an hour after I get off work. Uh, now that I won't be working until like eleven thirty every night. All right, good for you, so, man. So do I guess it. the answer is I do not have one at present. Mm-hmm. But something that worked in the past yeah. mm-hmm. was another community accountability mm-hmm. thing. Essentially what you guys were doing. Almost. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. all for community accountability, whether it's quick text every day or just like scheduled one hour a week. We'll do our parallel play independent activities at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's great. Like, And also good for you for trying to find that solid hour to do writing in ap- after work. It's hard, man. Like, I, I feel you on that. Like... We'll what do you do? Like, well, what do you do for work if you want to talk about that on pod? Uh, I work in public transportation as a bus driver. Okay. Oh, awesome. Cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's that's dope. You're you're out there on the front lines, man. No, I'm serious about that. I got a lot of respect for that. Like, yeah. Uh, yes, I really am. Thank you. <laughs> I've uh, always but... had a fantasy about not as much your bus driving job job specifically but like baker type jobs where you're like using completely different skills than creative writing where you're not writing not at a computer at all for mm-hmm. work like mm-hmm. maybe i have a fantasy where i would come to work, come to creative writing after that kind of a job feeling more refreshed mm-hmm. i suspect that this is not a realistic fantasy yeah. i i don't know i've never been a baker but um <laughs> i don't know yeah my, i guess my job doesn't it doesn't require me to, like, like I'm not, you know, analyzing data all day. I'm not, like, using the front mm-hmm. of my brain the whole time. But for me, it's just really emotionally draining. I mm-hmm. uh, work with a lot of, like, mentally unstable, uh, perpetually houseless people Yeah. Uh, who they're doing the best they can, but sometimes their best is to shout at me because mm-hmm. I have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's really draining a lot of the time, but I'm working through that. I'm trying to be less antagonistic towards my job. So something that worked for you in the past was one of the days where you don't have any work at all, just like making sure you do that hour on Sundays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knows, who knows if the work was good, but the work was getting done. That's the important thing, I think. 
the, and, uh, the, so the real the real benefit of that chunk of time when we were doing the weekly meetups was mm-hmm. that I hadn't been doing any regular writing and I haven't really done it since undergrad but it was nice to just know that every week at some point I did have to go back and type a thousand words and I actually could do it and so mm-hmm. then it kind of became less of a it wasn't a fear it was just like a chore and then it wasn't a chore it was like not a thing I looked forward to it, but a thing that I knew was worth my time. And then it became like a mm-hmm. thing that I could just engage with again. And that was the real thing was, mm-hmm. I guess, building a muscle. I don't know. Art's a discipline. And uh, I try mm-hmm. not to forget that. Word. Yeah, I think it's really intimidating if you've taken a long break from writing to get back to it. And it, yeah. the first times I know when I get back to writing, like the first several times of sitting down, I feel like I am forcing myself to do something fruitless it does take yeah. some muscle memory rebuilt before you know uh you're actually gonna enjoy much less get much interesting work done yeah i've been taking mm-hmm. some like online workshops with some like writers i really love and all of them so <laughs> far it said like i'll put you at ease writing is like carving into my own arm it does not get easier it's like okay well that's <laughs> that's great um yeah <laughs> I, I don't solidarity, I guess, but like, uh, mm-hmm. we're, yeah, I don't know. It's brutal. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I do want to take a second. JP and I were talking about this the other day. We went on a hike. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful hike. Red, Red rocks. rocks. Beautiful. Ooh. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful space Beautiful. to complain about MFA programs. Um, so, <laughs> um, basically, JP's found like a number of workshops from writers who he actually really admires mm-hmm. um, just like posted hey i'm gonna do a workshop 150 bucks or whatever it is um yeah. apply by this date mm-hmm. um and jp's done like two workshops that way uh, i've done like cool. three now um yeah do we want to like shout out the actual service yeah, yeah it's um yeah, i think it's through the shipment agency i think you can just google it and they i don't know what they're doing if they're like a talent booking agency or what or if they're just like providing the infrastructure but basically mm-hmm. you sign up uh if it's like a, i haven't done like a workshop yeah, it's always been like lectures and things. Um, I actually uh, took a class on the book that we're going to be discussing today. Cool. Um, cool. And uh, so if it's like a more of a lecture thing, you'll get a link to a Zoom meeting. And so far, it's like sometimes you have like camera access so they can see you. And if there's like a Q&A section, you'll get on the mic if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, yeah, you're you're face to face with someone who you assume is a, a lot better uh the thing you're trying to do and they just tell you what they want to tell you it's been great yeah the two you mentioned to me were garth greenwell yeah from cleanness mm-hmm. cleanness who's like just a really interesting writing philosopher okay um and garth greenwell and ro kwan mm-hmm. who wrote the incendiaries that came out two years ago last year i think it's been a few years i could be wrong i know it had been out a while before i actually read it i want to say it was like 20 20-16 maybe i don't know was i still an undergrad then not sure so i was just really excited to hear about this because i think it seems like if you're able to find direct access to a writer whose craft you admire yeah that is cheaper yeah there are fewer barriers to it and Mm -hmm. just as impactful as actual classes in, in an mfa in my opinion yeah, it's uh, just in my own experience. It's like a real crash course. Like uh, they've so far, everyone's been really generous with their time, so they have a scheduled like we're gonna mm-hmm. go from like two to four. Um, but if mm-hmm. it runs later, they're like, I blocked out my day. You guys have questions. You paid. Like I'm here. I want to help. So like, 
sometimes it goes over oh, if you want to take the class but you can't be there on the day they record it and they will send you a link to the video so like if you have a, a really okay. like pertinent question you won't get to ask it but like you still have access to it um and that's really helpful mm -hmm. um yeah i really recommend it uh so the shipment agency we'll find a link cool. big thumbs up nice. yeah so yeah, if absolutely. anyone's absolutely. thinking like what's an mfa like or what can i do instead of putting my life on hold for two to three years to do an MFA, this. Mm. <laughs> if, you've, if you've got the extra money, uh, I would say it's worth your time. Yeah. And if you're considering an MFA, I would assume that you have at least a little bit of extra money at that point, because if you're considering an MFA without it, it it's so hard. Like, yeah. But yeah, it's a good taster. I, I did a course like that as well before I started the MFA program. Like, oh, I, what did you do? Yeah. I took a class with Blake Butler, um, oh. and I did that. Um, it wasn't through the shipment agency. I, I can't remember the. Uh, I keep wanting to say that it was electric lit, but I don't. It wasn't electric lit. That's something else. <laughs> like yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but there was a um, a place that was uh, giving lessons from people like that. His was not so involved. It was kind of pre Zoom when I took it, so it, it was not quite as much of a one on one class. It was we had. We had a forum um, that we all posted in with relative regularity, and he read everything and gave us feedback on everything, which was really invaluable. That's actually, I wrote the story that I used to get into grad school there, so oh, that wow. it was Amazing. successful. Yeah, like, so it's a it's a good jumping off point for sure. Like, How did yeah. you hear about Blake Butler's class, Ben? I followed Blake Butler on Twitter, and he said he was doing it, so <laughs> that's, that also yeah. where I hear about all of these things. Is yeah. I'm terminally online, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I, I get it, man. Me too. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a good experience. So definitely a, a co endorsement there. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, follow writers. Follow the writers yeah. who admire online. That's that's a, that's you'll these kind of opportunities are as valuable or perhaps even cooler than many things that you'll find through more formal graduate programs. Yeah, yeah. That that's the thing. All, all because you know only a small percentage of the writers that we love actually teach in universities anyway, and, and so uh, this is a way to get access to the rest of them. And I hope some of the ones that do teach in MFA programs also offer stuff on the side as well. But I don't know if they do or not. Like, yeah, that's the other thing is I, I do think I, I don't know I uh, I'm very interested in like supporting artists directly, uh, mm -hmm. but when there's a certain point at which you don't know how to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, if you're like into, like, a lot of DIY, like, independent mm -hmm. bands and things, like, well, buy merch or, like, buy it from Bandcamp or whatever, like, that's easy. But if a, if an artist only has, like, a novel from, like, a major publisher or something, I don't know. I, I have no way of knowing what the breakdown of, like, how much money they get for buying this thing. But I assume, I mean, we're, it's based on an hourly rate with them. I know if I'm paying for, like, a couple hours at a time, they're probably going to get a massive chunk of that. Like, it's got to be one of the better ways yeah. for them to make some money. Okay. So... JP, what are we reading this week? What are we reading? I can't read. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I picked a section from Sabbath's Theater, uh, a novel by Philip Roth. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you give me a little bit of introduction on this book? I've never read any Philip Roth or anything, so just kind of, well, what, what am I looking at the context of here? Sure. Like, yeah. So the book concerns Mickey Sabbath, who is the most detestable person I can imagine, I think. Um, okay. One of uh, Philip Roth's uh, controlling ideas in, in writing this book was uh, letting in the repellent. And so he's a pretty mm. despicable person. 
the novel itself is really concerned uh, structurally about uh, recursion and memory and uh, the ways in which these things uh, make up our larger life. We're not things existing in a vacuum moment to moment. We're, we're mm-hmm. a whole... We're standing on the top of, like, decades and decades of not even our memories, but even the memories of, like, the people we know or, mm-hmm. or the, the historical happenings and catastrophes of, like, nations that came and went, like, before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the section I picked is what I'm, hope, I'm hoping to build an argument that this section is emblematic of, like, it's a piece of the novel, but the piece is... Uh, it represents the whole structure of the novel in that uh, it's very concerned with, like, the raw data that comprises a person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, it is recursive. It's at, at times it becomes almost pre-verbal. Like uh, the yeah. the narration is sort of regressing to a place of like just a found object. I'm I am a I'm a being that can like notice a thing, but there's no context to the thing. I just know that it's there and it's always been there, and now it's a part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are major sections of the novel that are like it starts in one. It's not chronological in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll start in one section. It may not even be the present day section, and then it'll regress to like another memory, and then in that memory it'll regress to like another thing, and it'll regress okay. to another thing, and then it'll sort of like go all the way down like several layers, and it'll build its way back up to oh, like cool. whatever's happening in the present. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, almost the whole way through, it's like there are multiple memories on like every page. Everything is interconnected, and that's one of the other things I love about it is that everything is kind of related to everything. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, separate here it all amounts to like a whole aesthetic experience um Mm. and is i think a really interesting counterpoint to some contemporary like novels of consciousness that are Mm. not so invested in building like that that sort of raw data of life Mm. it's it's more nameless and faceless it's like the the narrators don't have names the friends of the narrator don't have names Mm -hmm. um it's just like pure consciousness in that way yeah it just becomes kind of like the counterpoint you're making is that to contemporary novels that have kind of just like pure consciousness as consciousness rather than consciousness connected to an exterior world that's kind of going on here just if i'm understanding you correctly yeah yeah it's essentially what i'm I'm trying to say uh i okay i was initially maybe going to talk about uh knausgaard's my struggle book one one of the things he said uh, i think in that book is that literature or art isn't it's not the when and the where and the why and, and the how, it's the being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's one of the things I, I took away from that book. That's one of the things I took away from uh, Sabbath's Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I don't know, it's a, it's, a, it's a convention that I was not really aware of, but now understand on some level I'm very attracted to. Okay, Okay. pause that. Mm-hmm. We will come back to analysis. Let's read this shit. Okay, cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, introduction to this uh, passage, uh, him and his lover Drenka are meeting for their, their, uh, their affair, and uh, Sabbath uh, thinks he has just seen the ghost of his mother hovering like off to the, like, the right of, of his lover, and it's triggering uh, in some way like a regression of memory, and it's like presenting who he is or who he's become. Uh, to to the reader, I, I suppose. So here we go, Sabbath's Theater. Uh, there was a wilted bouquet at her feet, the first wildflowers of the spring, 
there from when she plucked them the week before while tramping up through the woods to meet him. Each year she taught him the names of the flowers in her language and in his, and from one year to the next he could not remember even the English. For nearly thirty years Sabbath had been exiled in these mountains, and still he could name hardly anything. They didn't have this stuff when he, where he came from. All these things growing were beside the point there. He was from the shore. There was sand and ocean, horizon and sky, daytime and nighttime, the light, the dark, the tide, the stars, the boats, the sun, the mists, the gulls. There were the jetties, the piers, the boardwalk, the booming, silent, limitless sea. Where he grew up, they had the Atlantic. You could touch with your toes where America began. They lived in a stucco bungalow, two short streets from the edge of America. The house, the porch, the screens, the icebox, the tub, the linoleum, the broom, the pantry, the ants, the sofa, the radio, the garage, the outside shower with the slatted wooden floor Morty had built, and the drain that always clogged. In summer, the salty sea breeze and the dazzling light. In September, the hurricanes. In January, the storms. They had January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, and then January, and then again January. No end to the stockpile of Januaries, the Mays, of Marches, August, December, April. Name a month and they had it in spades. They'd had endlessness. He'd grown up on endlessness and his mother. In the, be in the beginning, they were the same thing. His mother, his mother his mother, his mother, his mother. And then there was his mother, his father, grandma, Morty, and the Atlantic at the end of the street, the ocean, the beach, the first two streets in America, then the house, and in the house, a mother who never stopped whistling until December 1944. If Morty had come home alive, if the endlessness had ended naturally instead of with the telegram, if after the war, Morty had started doing electrical work and plumbing for people, had become a builder at the shore, gone into the construction business just as the boom in Monmouth County was beginning. Didn't matter. Take your pick. Get betrayed by the fantasy of endlessness or by the fact of finitude. No, Sabbath could only have wound up Sabbath, begging for what he was begging, bound to what he was bound, saying what he did not wish to stop himself from saying. Um, okay, so that's fantastic. Um, just um, uh, as a personal like, you know, thing that i really like stylistically i love lists i, I think lists are, are one of the best things that an author can do honestly i, I think it's a great way of, of conveying a large amount of I information without having to do a lot of really stringent prose work um and, and i think that that as a technique it 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 allows you to create image and context without ha without like getting tied up in the individual details of these things, and I th that's one of those things that really stands out, especially when you talked about how this is a novel about memory and the way that memory kind of flows into memory. Um, that comes through really strongly in, in what we have there. Um, you know, we just see it moves from image to image, and, and then from you know, into, like you were saying, that deeper, deeper, almost nonverbal place when it gets to, like, the mother as being, like, the whole of the world um, outside of himself and then expands back out from there. It's really, really good. Really cool stuff. I also like, in this case, these lists, it's just nouns. There are no verbs. Mm -hmm. And that does, I think, lack of verbs emphasizes, like, timelessness or out-of-timeness. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, so... 
if there were verbs, I would think more about like when was this the the order, the chronology, and I don't because I think in part the lack of verbs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a list of nouns when he's playing with so many different memories from so many different times makes makes a lot of sense here. Um, I do just on a language level, I love like a stockpile of Januarys. Um, mm-hmm name a month and they had had it in spades um that's fucking funny like to use that kind of mm-hmm. language for something that can't be stockpiled or can't mm-hmm. be collected is clever and fun and i like i really like that on a language level yeah mm-hmm. no one of the things i really love about this is that like not only does it, i think it mirrors the structure of the novel as a whole but it also introduces a lot of the themes this is only at the beginning mm-hmm. of the novel i actually when i because i remember this passage but i remembered it being like way later in the end and I think that actually emphasizes my point that it does kind of like encapsulate the whole thing. It could this this passage could have been at any point in the novel and it would have been just as effective because the whole novel is enforcing how effective the passage is. And the passage mm-hmm. is, is enforcing how effective the novel is. And so we're getting things about his affair and the way he's like teaches uh Drenka English phrases and how she also teaches things to him. Mm-hmm. We're getting things about uh the the relationship he has with his mother, um, the loss of his brother, mm-hmm. uh, the the whole thing about memory and regression and like the the inability to like account for the the endlessness of, of our own memories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. So I just I think it's really I don't know I don't know what it does to me. Um, I don't even know if a couple of years ago I would have recognized it's what it was working as well as it does, but it really stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it engages in that kind of like hypnotism that I think sometimes uh, the, that books will go into in the way that it just kind of the words themselves are just dragging you into the book itself. You, you get like you were mentioning all the nouns, Emily. Um, I think that's part of what does it because it just sti- it sticks you on these static images like throughout which are both unique to the character but are also like universal to the reader like we also have our memories of the months and the and the ob- the very commonplace objects that we see in our homes so it, it, it like it, it ties the reader into the theme like that that thematic concept ve- very easily like yeah mm-hmm. i think as far as like creating a hypnotic experience additionally like repetition mm-hmm. just repetition of mm-hmm. words mm-hmm. in a list is mm-hmm. really noticeable here so mm-hmm. um the names of months are repeated a lot um and generally just like it's not only the house it's the porch the screens the icebox the tub like each of those more specific images within the house are essentially repeating the house the bigger more broader mm-hmm. noun used earlier in the list mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah so i think it is making you as the reader like lose track of time in the same way that i mm-hmm. think the protagonist is getting lost in his memories it sounds like yeah, yeah. Well, i think the the lack of like specific articles there it's never his uh home or or his garage or or your garage it's just the garage mm-hmm. i think that helps mm-hmm. kind of supplant the reader in the experience as opposed to understanding it's being narrated for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um cool i have a, i have a <laughs> i have a question kind of outside of this this section mm-hmm. yeah um literary fiction about being stuck on your memories and not growing as a person Mm -hmm. seems to be what this story what this novel is about i have not read any philip roth before either but it sounds like this is a literate lit fic about 
the protagonist is like stuck in his own memories and is not growing as a person right uh, I, w- I would say it's probably fair, uh, especially the last uh, few sentences of the section I read, which were... Um, yeah, that'll definitely give yeah, you the impression. Yeah, Sav so, could only mm-hmm. wound up sad with begging for what he was begging, bound to what he was bound, saying what he did not wish to stop himself from, being, from saying. Mm-hmm. I disagree with this world, Vigo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I, I think that this world, this is, especially that the, the last two sentences that you just read, JP, mm-hmm. like that he was essentially fated and it was out of his control to become exactly mm-hmm. who he is. I just strongly disagree with that worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Any, any takers on this topic? Yeah. Guys? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, I think that there is, I, I definitely can see in the context of this disagreeing with this worldview, because I, I think that's definitely something that is, you know, like, like you mentioned, JP, this is kind of like bringing in the reprehensible. It, it's not, it, it's someone like, I think the most important thing that he says there is that, you know, he saying what he did not wish to stop himself from saying, like that's actively like noting that he is making a choice. Like he doesn't want to stop himself. Like it, it's, he's saying, of course, it's like that nice contradictory moment where it's like, oh, he's saying he's fated to this. But the reality is that, and the narrator acknowledges like he's not fated to this. He's choosing to be this way. He's sticking himself in here. Like, yeah. And and I think uh, it's very fair to disagree with that worldview. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, personally, I I mean, so Philip Roth, when he was writing it, he had said, like, if this man showed up on my doorstep, I would, I would not let him in my house. I would not give him the time of day. Like I would uh, find any reason at all to, to get rid of him. And I I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. But one of the, the real magic tricks of the book is Mm -hmm. like, he, he's horrible, but at times he's also like, very funny he's very intelligent uh Mm -hmm. some of the worst things he does are in some way like an extreme act of empathy on his part like it's Mm. he is uh able to like project another person's feelings uh like so effectively for for the reader and for his own edification that it's like it's it's almost like a perfect understanding of of the the exact way in which he has hurt them and in a way Mm. that is like a really radical form of empathy mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, yes he he is intentional like he he do, he enjoys being uh a terrible person and he does some horrible things i mean okay. just like off the top of my head he tries to seduce like plenty of people who are already married which is like you know whatever there's a point at which his wife who is an alcoholic is in like uh, a treatment for alcoholism like inpatient mm-hmm. and he goes to visit her and uh, he reads these letters uh, from her father who killed himself, and then he writes her letters as if he or her father in response, and they're just like, they're horrible, it's a terrible, cruel joke. While he's there, he's trying to, like, give another recovering alcoholic, like, a bottle of vodka so she will sleep with him. He's a terrible person, like, and that's, yeah, I don't know. There's a, yeah. He's really not good, but, like, there's something about him that is, like, I, I really, like, hold him very close to me. I did not expect to like this. I think uh, when I was mm-hmm. an undergrad, I was, you know, I mean, at that time, a lot of people who are kind of interested in, in the, the larger world, they get a lot of their crash course on social justice from Tumblr. And so I was mm-hmm. an uh, undergrad at a time when it was a lot of, like, I don't want to read this because it's, like, about a toxic straight white man or whatever. And I think mm-hmm. to level that criticism against this book would be such, like, uh I would have missed out a lot. Like this book really mm-hmm. opened up uh, a lot in me about like just uh, how I empathize with people, how I understand my own damages and how I understand other people's damages. Um, mm-hmm. It helped me 
come to like a, a lot of consensuses about moralizing an art and mm. what I think is an ultimate futility, at least in the way I practice it, because before then I had let a lot of worries about good representation or good politics or mm-hmm. or just not harming the reader guide mm-hmm. a lot of what I was giving myself the permission yeah. to write. And if I can yeah. like read a book like this and I can come to it with enough good faith to like understand the context in which it exists and that it is not an endorsement of these horrible things mm-hmm. and still find a way to really cherish this horrible man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's the thing I didn't know I was capable of. It was That's really like a, I don't know, one of those few like, you you understand your your consciousness is evolving in your adulthood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that criticism of like I won't, I don't, I dismissing a book because it's an unlikable protagonist who is from various privileges mm-hmm. is a yeah. boring criticism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. are. You know, top of mind for me, there's tons of unlike, tons, tons of unlikable protagonists in great novels that Mm -hmm. can you can become a better person by reading. Mm -hmm. Um, Top of mind for me, with Teeth by Kristen Arnett, Kristen Arnett's Mm -hmm. novel from I think last year. Um, Mm -hmm. She's the protagonist is the worst, just a terrible person, a terrible mother, um, Mm -hmm. truly cruel to her wife and her. Uh, child um, mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean that Kristen Arnett is a bad person or that we shouldn't mm-hmm. read books where people are unlikable like that is yeah. a silly criticism yeah. I think there may be some validity in like do publishers only publish unlikable protagonists if the protagonists are from these safe backgrounds I think that's a different criticism than mm-hmm. actually just dismissing the book like I think yeah. criticism yeah. of the publishing industry is a separate conversation from yeah. critical reception of an, of a specific piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agreed. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, because it, it becomes one of those scenarios where, um, you know, like you just said, it, it is, a, it is a criticism of, of issues within how, how we publish and what we publish, not like, you know, we shouldn't write to, and, you know, I've said this before, but we shouldn't write to an imagined audience necessarily. Like, we shouldn't write to a, per- uh, we shouldn't write to a perceived reaction. Like, because that's never going to get us to anywhere that we want to be in our own writing. Like, we, we always have to write to, you know, well, what we want to write to, not not to what we think they should, what we should be writing to. Because there, there's no, there's never going to be a clean answer to that question anyways. Like, it, it's, the world's too complicated to, to get it right. Like, yeah. Hmm. I guess so. To respond to your earlier point about like uh, a mm-hmm. protagonist who is terrible and, and is enforcing their own depravity and does not change. I mean, mm-hmm. if if I told you that he did not change, what what would that change uh, about your idea of the novel? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would make your se- selection stronger, right? So this selection is really telling me this is a protagonist who believes that his terrible decisions are were outside of his control right who is not saying he's saying here are various memories i was i was uh bound to what he was bound saying what he did not wish to stop himself from saying um that's someone who's not like taking personal accountability right in in my interpretation here this is someone who's saying like 
here are all these memories and these memories are why I'm fated to be the person who I am. Hmm. Um, so oh, it would make your no, selection really interesting. Yeah, because I think the way the, the narration is, is framing the memories is they're, they're static things that cannot be changed. And I think to frame who Mickey Sabbath is as he's remembering it as also some function of memory, like he cannot escape that mm-hmm. thing and it only enforces that he is this thing. This is such an interesting interpretation of memory. Sorry, Emily, were you going to respond? No, you go. I, wanna... I'll, I suspect uh, we're going to comment on the same thing. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I, I think we might be as well, in that because that's like memory isn't static, was what exactly. I was going to yeah. say. Like memory. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, yeah, yeah, the memories are not. Yeah. We, we, aren't, we can't be trapped by our memories because every time we remember them they're different like they're always tinged by the last time you remembered them exactly like yeah. so so it's very you, strange to claim mm-hmm. neuroscientists the like pop science article i read about this like, <laughs> phrased it as like every time you remember something you leave a new fingerprint on it mm-hmm. you leave your new fingerprint of how you chose to remember it this time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we re-record our memories and like uh, the parts of them that we repeatedly remember become stronger in our memory than, you know, we're not remembering the whole experience anymore by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so an- another reason I disagree with the worldview is because memories aren't just nouns floating in space with no verb, no sense of time. Like, every time we touch a memory, it is complicated mm-hmm. by how we are remembering it today. So, like, I like the technique, the craft of like mm-hmm. a noun list of, mm-hmm. of to create like a memory or an atmospheric memory, um, but I, I don't think it's realistic <laughs> in in my worldview. Yeah, I I will say that um, to uh, how he does this here, I, I do agree. Like the individual memories themselves, like you said, are always complex events, and, and the act of remembering them is a complex event in and of itself. Um, but the way that the web of mem- like i can very much see what he's doing and find some relatability to like maybe not actual science or maybe not how the how it actually works but memory as a web does kind of come in flashes and moments like this and, yeah. and i can definitely right. like see why roth would take that as the like way he was going to write it necessarily like in mm-hmm. order to like kind of interrogate this idea while maybe not the most accurate necessarily I, I do think that there is something in how he did it yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's it is realistic not realistic was probably not the ideal word, word choice it is realistic to how you perceive memories as mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a you know flashes of specific parts of things and also as like often if i'm thinking through especially memories that mean a lot to me or that are troubling to me like they come mm-hmm. in this like wave feeling like a feeling mm-hmm. of, of being hit by a wave of them so mm-hmm. like a noun list does reinforce that feeling of like it doesn't make sense i don't have time to root through each of these they're just hitting me and hitting me and hitting me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i don't want to move directly into the um uh technique segment yet or like writing lesson that we'd want to take away from it but i do just want to ask jp um just what what are some moments in this section itself that that you think of as like being key standout moments of craft like divorced from context or political like leaning um just as writing are are there some key moments in this that just really stick out to you i mean that's to to narrow it down to anything would be difficult because i feel like like i said the 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 section itself speaks to the mm, whole mm-hmm. novel, and that's okay. really yeah. 
the craft thing for me is like how do you condense okay. individual pieces and this isn't the only section that's like this in the novel mm-hmm. this is the one that I think is the most uh, impactful for, for discussing it but mm-hmm. you know how how does one reflect the whole of the novel in like its mm-hmm. individual parts because oh, cool. I, I guess the novel it, it is uh, more than a sum of its individual parts but mm-hmm. like to mix a form of like pre-verbal memory mixed with a uh, uh, a very loose sort of mythological view of America and the Atlantic and like the Jersey mm-hmm. Shore where this takes place or where uh, the, the narrator is from and where I think uh, Philip mm. Roth is from um, that's all you know really moving to me um, yeah I guess uh, I, I think this placement of this moment is really interesting too <laughs> right so she's it I mean, based on what you've sent us, it looks like they're, like, in conversation. She has asked him a question. And he pauses for a moment, maybe looks away. And then after the section that we've read out loud, he says, I'll tell you what. And then, like, they continue their conversation. So, like, there is a moment in real time where he pauses to think. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking about memories and feelings that may not be super-duper related. Mm -hmm. But they do set Mm -hmm. the emotion of what he's thinking about. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Like... We were, Ben, I think, in the bell jar episode when we talked the fig tree metaphor in the bell jar Mm -hmm. by Sylvia Plath. Mm -hmm. Um, The main character is, like, in an auditorium watching stuff happen. Mm -hmm. And then she starts remembering a short story she read, and she goes on this, like, paragraph or page and a half long, page long or so, like, internal thought. And then she goes back in scene. Yeah. So... I think this is another example of a good placement of a long mm. internal thought, mm. right? They're in having mm. a conversation, a like tense conversation. He pauses to think, thinks about things that may not be like directly related, mm-hmm. um, and then re- resumes the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really fitting location for this for this pause. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that really attracts me about to, to this section and and my overall understanding of it of it being emblematic of the whole is that I don't know that I'm a very like in the limited writing I've done I don't do a lot with structure but this is a very structurally mm-hmm. interesting and effective uh, book for like a number of reasons um, and so I guess like my takeaway is like how do I if I can conceive of the structure of a novel that I want to write. How can I reinforce the the effectiveness of that structure? Like, what mm. the structure actually accomplishes something here? It doesn't feel meaningless. It feels like it, it's actually forcing a lot more emotional impact because it is shaped and structured the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that does seem for like a writing exercise. It sounds very late stage. Like you already have to have a novel written and then yeah. start going like, okay, so what's the form it's going to take? How do I like? That seems really late stage. I don't know if there is a mm-hmm a writing practice here except maybe uh try doing a list <laughs> i think we got try doing always a list do down a list. <laughs> always do a list uh, lists is always good <laughs> um but yeah just on that like the the larger structural thing i i think there is something to be to think about that um in that when you are creating a longer work and, and i think that when longer works are what in question it, it's Everything is kind of a late stage process just because you're always working towards some greater whole. 
Um, it, it, I think understanding that or, or attempting to do something in which you make sure that the structure that is represented by the whole of your novel is still present in microcosm within its parts. Yes. Like, that, that the structure is doing itself throughout. Like... In, the, in this example, we're saying the structure... I have not read this book. Um, the structure of the lar- larger novel is, like, he is often... thinks he's unseen and then is distracted by various memories and then he returns to being unseen. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and then making sure that that structure is not only just this overarching thing that we have throughout, but within individual scene, we see it occur within that. Like, it... it, it it, the it, as in like being able to take parts out uh, because just because I liked what JP mentioned when he said like that this is you know representative of the novel as a whole but it's only a one and a half page section and, and being able to allow that those those moments exist throughout it is something to you know make sure that you're doing when you're creating longer work for sure like, uh, yeah it, feel, it makes it feel a lot more cohesive I imagine mm-hmm can I change the topic? Excellent. Yeah. I do think that um, unlikable protagonists... I'm not, like, the hugest fan of an unlikable protagonist. Um, Hold. Really? Yeah. So, hear me out. I think... I'm just surprised is all. Yeah. Edgelords are boring. True. I don't okay. think you should be Fair. edgy for yes. the sake of being Valid. edgy. 100% cosign. Yes. And I don't think that... Agreed being unlikable for the sake of being unlikable is it's uninteresting to me mm-hmm. it does not do anything mm-hmm. for me there is plenty of meanness mm-hmm. in this world already mm-hmm. i don't need a meanness celebrated in art for the sake of meanness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so i am not a huge fan of unlikable protagonists yeah. just generally speaking i i do think it's kind of like a cheap way to dismiss a book you can just say you know like i'm not a fan of unlikable protagonists and i'm not going to read sabbath cedar and that's true mm. for me like i will not read this book because i'm probably mm. not that interested in un- an unlikable protagonist for the sake of an unlikable protagonist that's fair. Mm-hmm. but like that doesn't mean that no one is allowed to <laughs> like yeah. that's that's my taste yeah well yeah. i also think uh i mean just speaking about the novel in general but like any novel of, of this ilk uh if it's if it's worth anything at all it's not so much like this person is a bastard and, and that's the end of it. It's it, I'm more invested in like, not why is this person a bastard, but understanding how they couldn't have been any other way. Like, and like, especially in the novel, the way it's structured, like you get a lot of his background info and like just the terrible things that happened to him. And it's like, yeah, under like a lot of circumstances, like many of us would become worse people. I think I have become a worse person like through the pandemic. And that is that was a big thing for me. It was like I can see myself in some way in this horrible person. I'm not without empathy, mm-hmm. I, and I don't. I would never do like any of the things in this. But like, mm-hmm. I, I've got a lot of like vitriol in me that I did not know was there that I'm working through. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It it kind of like going through what I've gone through. It would feel really weird for someone to like sit across from me and be like, "Have you just tried not being mean? Have you tried not being like?" rude about this particular Mm. thing it's like well yeah i did try for a long time it was actually like worse for me in the long run Mm. i don't want to embrace Mm. being a bastard but i want to embrace being Mm. honest about how i feel sure and i think i don't know as a tool i I think this is a book that helps me do it cool nice 
yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, I, I think so because like we can't deny that our memories and our experiences are carried with us, like because mm-hmm. and they do shape who we are for sure. Like, but and just. Emily, on the point that you made, like, I just wanted to address my own surprise, um, and I think oh, yeah. your point is valid. Just because within your reading taste that you have told me before, you often like characters who are wrong about stuff. That oh, is yeah. something you have mentioned a lot. Is that you like like people that you like people that are disagreeable in some of their perceptions. Like, so I just find it interesting that it's like you won't go for an unlikable protagonist because that's a great way of being disagreeable is by mm-hmm. being a, a shitty person. Yeah. Well, I think there's like multiple, there's a difference I think between like someone who does something shitty or mm. does something that is unlikable or uncharismatic or, mm-hmm. and a novel that is trying to celebrate unlikability as mm-hmm. the point of the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think usually in unlikable character, unlikable characters that I find myself like really excited to read about they're usually trying to be better people <laughs> like mm, they're not okay okay excited to be unlikable yeah. <laughs> okay yeah okay I get you yeah show enough well do we wish to move into recommendations unless I think we, I think we got our exercises we in yeah, yeah we got our reps in. Wri- write a whole novel and consider the structure yeah. in that novel have a list or two <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that'll this be is good advice go. yeah exactly <laughs> if you weren't doing it yet you gotta do it now yeah <laughs> oh, alright well uh, thanks that was this episode of the good writing podcast um, let's close out with our recommendation of the week so recommendation yeah. of the week what is something that has brought you joy in the past week that you recommend other people also check out um, ben, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure. I've been reading uh, Jarrett Kobeck, uh, who we featured on the podcast with his book, I Hate the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, he just put out two new books um, at the same time, both about the Zodiac Killer. Um, one is a comprehensive history uh, of the Zodiac and, and kind of what was going on and giving context to it. And the other book, which is the one I'm reading currently, uh, and then the other book is his theory as to who the Zodiac Killer is, which is the one I'm much more excited to read. Um, like, it, it's very, it's good. It's Jarrett Kobeck prose, so, you know, he's funny. It's extremely dark. It, it's got his, like, signature kind of, like, bite that he has in the way he writes. And, and also his deep empathy for people of the working class and for drug addicts and for the marginalized of the society of society while being extremely dismissive of anyone who would attempt to exploit those people um so that's very nice to see um and it's it's a good read you know it's it's about the zodiac killer it is true crime so if that's not something you're interested in um you're not going to be interested in this probably but i th- I, as someone who does not read a lot of true crime, think that I think this is a really cool book. It, it's coming out very, it, it's going well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. That, that is audacious releasing two books, one about like a comprehensive history and one is just you're trying to figure it out. You're not yeah. too much. I think it, it's, why did he release them separately rather than building his theory into the history? Um, be, I think in part to keep them shorter and cheaper um because it's like it's about 500 pages of book he self-published them like they're through his thing so it might be a reason of it's cheaper to have these two books printed separately than attempting to print one 500 page novel 
Mm-hmm. Um, the it might be a physical uh, restriction because the way he has his books printed is kind of cheap, so they fall apart kind of easily. And I imagine a bigger spine would cause more issues in that department. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I'm not 100% sure, but it's also cool to say that you published two at once, so it might have just been that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a feat. Who, yeah. uh, uh, McCarthy's about to do that too, isn't he? Oh, is he? Yeah, uh, I'm not, yeah, I haven't been following him. I think he just said, him, he's yeah. like, I'm writing two, two books, yeah, buckle up, kids. PP, <laughs> um, recommendation of the week. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I... I try to recommend uh, things to people that, like, force them to pay attention to it. I, I think uh, many people are used to, like, dreaming age where you put things on to, like, numb the fact that you mm-hmm. want to in your home or apartment. But, uh, so, um, big fan of, like, a lot of DIY, like, punk and metal and, and hardcore. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a band out of Texas called Record Setter that has really, like, they put out their album, I Owe You Nothing. Um mm. I think like two years ago, maybe like at some time, either like right before or during the beginning of the pandemic. And that record has gotten me through some real difficult times. It's uh, I shout it out because like it's an emotional investment, but it's also like a lot of fun. I love anything that can like really give you the punch of like, I have a lot of feelings and like, I need to process them, but also like in a way that is like, if if someone's like doing this live, you're like in a pit and you're moving, you're not just like, you know, watching people deconstruct themselves on stage. It's like, I think it's a really fun album as well as like a really emotionally moving album. And uh, also uh, just uh, the, the front woman is a trans woman. And I think just shouting out any sort of queer independent art is, Mm. is a useful use of my time. So so record setter i owe you nothing uh incredible album uh big fan oh yeah it's on my spotify right now i'm gonna listen to it as i go smoke a cigarette after this so (laughs) wait a minute i thought you quit uh we got friends over i i (laughs) smoke i smoke when i'm on vacation (laughs) yeah Yeah. i have to tell everyone i have the highest regard for ben kearns my co-host and ben said something that I later found out was a Mark Twain quote that I just thought was, I just, it's so clever. I repeated it to several people. Like, isn't my friend Ben who made this up the funniest <laughs> thing you've, isn't he so clever? So Ben in undergrad, we it, sorry, in, in grad school in the MFA program, we would take like, it was supposed to be like 10 minute bathroom breaks in the middle of our three hour classes and would always end up being like 25 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And Ben and a number of other people would go out to smoke. And Ben once told me, quitting cigarettes is easy. I do it all the time. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. I, I, It's easy to quit smoking. I do it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, isn't this the funniest thing you've ever seen? I, and finally, it was Daniel Singh from our MFA program. He was like, Emily, yeah. that's a Mark Twain quote. Yeah. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Egg on I think Ben Kearns came up with that. I think my friend Ben. Listen, I'm happy to give it to Ben. I don't, I don't owe Mark Twain shit, but I like that. Yeah. Well, I will gladly take this. Um, I will gladly steal Mark Twain's thunder. That man has too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bring him down, Ben. Bring him down. Uh, my recommendation of the week is this crazy story about the Brian brandon sanderson kickstarter have you guys heard about this no what are you talking about okay so you know brandon sanderson who took over the wheel of time books no oh i didn't know that that happened but i do now yeah wheel of time uh i have not read any of these books i did watch the the tv series on jeff bezos's platform 
Um, <laughs> that and the TV series was super fun. It was like high fantasy. If you're, it was very like in the genre. Um, so mm-hmm. after watching the TV series, we watched a few YouTubers who have read all the books who were like comparing, you know, what's different. And, and we were just like, spoilers galore. Sounds interesting. I looked up and I was like, maybe I'll read all these books. And then there were like mm-hmm. 14 fucking Wheel of Time books. And I decided I'm done. Um, the, the original author of the Wheel of Time passed away partway through his series. And mm-hmm. this writer, Brandon Sanderson, wrote such a moving obituary for the original author that his the original author's wife chose Brandon Sanderson to finish wow. writing the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Brandon Sanderson. He, he writes The Wheel of Time. Um, and he's just like an empire, an, a fi- high fantasy empire. Like he has um, art level books. He has merchandise that he's made. He has just like a small company that works for him building these like um, non-book... In- ancillary things um he started a kickstarter where he announced i secretly wrote four novels during the pandemic <laughs> uh, which first I, of all I, I fuck off fuck like, you brian no, sanderson i don't like that that's, yeah, yeah that's, i'm like you know shakespeare wrote uh whatever during the plague i'm like i'm not fucking shakespeare so brandon sanderson secretly wrote four novels during the pandemic <sighs> And then he is already a huge force of nature. And so he started a Kickstarter and he mm-hmm. said, you know, I'm going to, I want to raise this much money and I will release the year of Brian Sanderson. You know, I'll send you these four novels. I'll send you other like ancillary plushies and stuff, mm-hmm. um, like funded on my Kickstarter. I'm going to publish these myself essentially. Yeah. And he, his goal was like pretty reasonable. He's at almost 31 million dollars through Kickstarter. Yeah. Damn, bro. Bro, as of today, as of today, March 20th, 2022, he's at almost 31 million dollars on Kickstarter for his four secret novels by Brian Sanderson and various other perks. Mm -hmm. And Um, all self-published, so he just gets all that money, too. That's not going through a through pass at all. Like, yeah. yeah. God. And, you know, like, traditional publishing, your royalties... I, I listened to the Print Run podcast, which I've recommended before, where two literary agents talk shop. They had, last week's episode from them was on this. Um, mm-hmm. Typical publishing contracts, you keep, like, 15% of your royalties. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. increasingly, like, for a name like Brandon Sanderson, who is just an empire on his own, mm-hmm. is the publisher actually doing 85% of the work in order to get mm-hmm. your book sold? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if he can kickstart and raise $31 million on his own, yeah. it doesn't make sense for him to go the traditional publishing route and give up 85% of his royalties. Yeah. Yeah. God. Wait, and, so- and he could just hire, you know, there's so many editors quitting publishing companies right now. He could just yeah. probably hire his own favorite trusted editor yeah. or like a equivalent extremely talented person who's just fed up with the publishing industry yeah pay them an annual wage you know like most of the yeah. publishing industry is making like 40k in new york city yeah. you can pay them an annual wage to have them work full freaking time on his book without yeah. blinking <laughs> like, yeah with with just one piece in front of them the entire time like yeah yeah to get their undivided attention books. yeah jesus I'm a little confused, yeah. though. Is your recommendation to be Brian Sanderson? Brandon. Brandon <laughs> My recommendation is to write four novels during the pandemic. Well, I already did do <laughs> it's that. It's too late. 
this was this week's episode of the Good Writing Podcast. John Paul Hurley, thank you for joining us. Hey, Where yeah. can people thank find you, so you online? Much. Oh, God. You can watch me just, like, crumble into salt on Twitter if you want. I'm at Y-U-N-G-N-A-P-O-L-E-O-N. And you can find me and Ben at Good Writing Pod on Twitter if you've got something quick. We'd love to hear from you. Or if mm-hmm. you have a longer note you'd like to send us, you can send us an email at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Thanks, everybody. Re-interview us on everything. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. I love you. Have a good week. Bye.